0: Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast. My name is Stephanie Jarris, and I'm the Director of Research for the Department of Defense Counter Insider Threat Program. Voices from the SBS Summit is a monthly podcast brought to you by the Threat Lab, DOD's Counter Insider Threat Program, and the National Insider Threat Task Force. This podcast features conversations with presenters from the Threat Lab's annual Counter Insider Threat Social and Behavioral Science Summit. We'll ask guests about what's new since September's summit, including updates to their presentations, what they didn't have time to talk about, and what they think about what's going on right now. This week, I am talking to Nate Hunt and Matt Doherty about their summit presentation and zero-tolerance policies. Enjoy the episode. Matt Doherty is currently the practice lead for the threat and violence risk management practice within Hillard Hines, a Jensen Hughes company. He is widely recognized across the US as among the most experienced experts in assessing an individual's potential for danger and preventing targeted violence. Nathan Hunt is a senior director within the same threat and violence risk management practice and is a senior threat and violence risk management and law enforcement expert with more than three decades of experience. I am very, very excited to welcome them to our inaugural podcast. And so Matt and Nate, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks again for having us.
0: So in your September 2020 summit, which seems like nine years ago at this point, you talked about how counterinsider threat programs and workplace violence prevention programs were converging. And you talked about how based on what we know now, even though we used to keep those programs separate, they actually inform and they complement one another. And so you talked about how the past can really inform the future as we move forward with creating the best and most robust workplace protection programs. And one of the things that you talked about is that in many cases, people and organizations have policies in place in which workplace violence will not be tolerated. Um, However, this actually gives people the sense that these programs are punitive. People who express certain behaviors, they're going to be punished. And in fact, they might even be walked out and fired. In fact, this is a problem because it suppresses reporting. People may see concerning behavior, but they're not comfortable reporting it up the chain because people will automatically get fired. And so zero tolerance policies that have been around for a while may actually be counterproductive. And so this takes us into our topic today and which is zero tolerance policies and yet another example of how we can learn from the past to inform the future. And so let me go ahead and get started with a simple question which is what is zero tolerance language?
1: Well, it, 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 the language, um, and, and we do workplace finance needs assessments and write policies for private sector and public sector agencies. And it's really, it, the purpose uh, is to inform employees that the organization won't tolerate harm to others, and any violation would result in disciplinary action, which in many cases is termination. Now, some of those are direct threats Threats of physical harm, fights, those types of things that should, bullying in the workplace that shouldn't be tolerated, and in we know in no way do we condone the behavior. However, it's such a punitive tone of workplace violence won't be tolerated that there's a lack of reporting in this. Don't you think, Nate?
2: Yeah, and and I think that one of the key um, issues is that every kind of an offense kind of falls onto a spectrum, right? So. When you decide to make a policy, and usually it's it's a reactionary policy, right? Usually it is done um, because there was some incident in the workplace that has really been disruptive. And so, uh, you know, the executive decision is made that we're not going to tolerate this. And then a new policy comes out saying we do not tolerate sexual harassment. We do not tolerate workplace violence. But the truth is these behaviors are still being tolerated across the board. And so what seems to be something that everyone can get behind saying, we don't tolerate this and you'll be punished. Um, everybody seems to be able to say, Hey, yeah, I can get behind that. I, I, I understand that. But the, the reality is it doesn't take into account the individual aspects of each kinds of each one of these types of uh, negative behaviors. And, the, and there is not really a one size fits all. Now, one thing that, you know, I want to make clear Stephanie is that there are still, as everyone knows, in an organization, there are still those unforgivable sins that you that will lead to court martial or criminal prosecution or termination. You know, we're not saying that that uh, a, a policy that avoids zero tolerance uh, forgives those things, but it, it's really more in the approach.
0: That all makes sense to me. Um, I'm familiar with the phrase zero tolerance. Um, In the schools, um, bullying, you know, things like that, Um, schools that were trying to get a handle on misbehavior, and so kids would be kicked out or suspended for a pretty long period of time. So, but how did zero tolerance language become the go-to in in companies? When did that happen?
1: Uh, It it happened as early as the 1980s when dealing with uh, legitimate Behaviors that should not be condoned, just as Nate said, sexual harassment. In 1994, for instance, the Gun Free School Act, zero tolerance for weapons near the schools. And then it kind of morphed from there. And you bring up schools, it's a great example. Uh, Right after Columbine, those of us old enough to remember the targeted violence case of Columbine, school systems across the country implemented strict zero tolerance policies. For instance, and it went to the extreme. A kindergartner was suspended for 10 days for merely making the um, shape of a uh, gun with his finger, playing cowboys on the playground. And yet that extreme measure of discipline for something that clearly has nothing to do with threat, legitimate threat management, and yet really bullying was an issue and what were people communicating to others. So it it really morphed, started in the 80s and really morphed and people just uh, really took off with that zero tolerance concept.
2: Yeah, Matt, and in, in the school system, it's also... Uh, interesting to note that although you know the impetus for these zero tolerance policies were drugs and you know weapons in schools but there's been studies that show that only that nationally only five percent of expulsions or out of school suspensions for a week or longer involve possession of of weapons. Um, 43 percent are for insubordination so clearly when you're talking about insubordination of a you know of a high school or middle schooler uh, um, you know that is not uh, a, a policy that lends itself to zero tolerance. It, puts, uh, it just puts too much um, ambiguity in there. And what what starts out as a, a policy of zero tolerance so that uh, it's very transparent <laughs> for everyone, what the consequences will be, it gets muddled, muddied up, and it, it doesn't take into effect individual circumstances.
1: Uh, that's exactly right. And, and with schools, now um, it's been reined in. In 2015, the American Federation of Teachers uh, admitted zero tolerances in schools backfired. And one of the uh, negative outcomes was uh, they found proportionally um, uh, differences in disciplining um, white Americans versus um, other uh, demographic groups such as dem- uh, African-Americans. And it still didn't manage that threat assessment process. So frankly, Stephanie, uh, the public and the private sector companies Uh, they're just catching up to what schools have realized has been a big mistake in their threat management processes.
0: So you mentioned some of the negative consequences of zero tolerance policies in the schools. Specifically, people saw that it was not being applied as it was intended. I mean, we all know insubordination is basically a way of life for middle and high schoolers. And so it's it's not an effective policy if you really want to get Um, to the core of what's going on with those kids. And secondly, the fact that the research shows that students of color were suspended significantly more often than white students also says, we've got a bigger problem going on here. And so what are some of the consequences that happen in the workplace, not necessarily just in the schools, when these policies are implemented?
1: um when those policies are implemented two basic things happen first of all it's punitive in nature and zero tolerance doesn't get to the heart of the issue what were the reasons why that particular case came to your attention in the first place it also has very negative consequences on reporting in other words when an employee sees an employee handbook zero tolerance won't be tolerated it's punitive in nature and um should there be zero tolerance policies for somebody that's a victim of domestic abuse? For example, when you hear 40% of women killed in the workplace or killed by an intimate partner, and yet you see a punitive nature of the policy, perhaps people, and it's been well proven, people are reluctant to report for fear of retaliation or fear of getting people in trouble when it should be just the opposite. There should be open reporting to hopefully retain the person or have the threats identified and I know Nate's had some experience with that as well
2: well one of the things I really consider Matt is is that this is the easy way out when you write a policy that says you know it's a, it's a it's a half of a page long and it says sexual harassment will not be tolerated and may result in termination and you put that out and say okay now we've solved our sexual harassment policy well that's clearly not the case and so what happens is, Again, I mentioned earlier about that spectrum of, of kind of offenses. So, so let's say we're in a meeting and somebody winks at somebody else and um, it, it's, not ta- it's not received well. And, you know, was, was that a sexual harassment? It, well, you know, a lot of times we know that sexual harassment is based upon the perception of the person who feels harassed, right? So what, what somebody may consider to be, you know, an, uh, an insignificant behavior clearly can be sexual harassment. So what happens then is people start making these judgments about whether I should report that. Because if I do, somebody might get terminated or they'll be suspended without pay, something negative will happen, and then there'll be blowback on me for reporting. So what happens is when you put this lazy policy out there that says we just don't tolerate it, what you end up having is everybody has to make their own individualized judgments. And you've taken away some of the freedom of action on on that executive level to make some executive decisions, you know, it's the job of an executive to take a look at your policies and make sure that you understand their purpose, but also to understand when they don't really fit a particular situation. And when we have zero tolerance policies that, that, you know, end up resulting in some absurd uh, outcome because you, you hewed closely to the, to the letter of the the rule, uh, then, then you end up being on, on the news, defending an absolutely absurd uh, issue like for example, a kid in in school biting his toast and making it look like a like a gun, and and, and now the this this uh, you know middle schooler is expelled, and then now you're on TV explaining why you expelled somebody for playing with their toast, and it's just absurd.
1: It it, it really is, and Stephanie, you know the the negative morale, the toxic environment. Uh, less employee engagement. Uh, even OSHA has done some statistical empirical research and found that 25% of workplace violence at, at companies go unreported. And a large part of that is due to that punitive nature where somebody doesn't is not comfortable coming forward because of the disciplinary nature of the zero tolerance policies. Once again, a uh, broken record here, but we're not condoning the unacceptable behavior. But if you don't get that reporting from your general work po- population, that's when incidents of workplace violence and incidents of insider threat uh, in, in a lot of cases uh, do occur.
2: Matt, that's, that's, that's a great point. So, so once again, it's, it's, it's the barrier to reporting. In, in the workplace, again, it, using that, that example of sexual harassment will not be tolerated. Absolutely, it's not tolerated. What what really needs to be addressed is if you have a problem in your organization with sexual harassment or have had an incident that is, you know, that you're having to respond to or address, then you need to take a critical look at it and say, okay, how are we going to address the problem? The underlying issue is we need to be, uh, we need to have good reporting so that we can intercede or intervene early on before it becomes a problem. So in the workplace, you know, again, everybody's making these individualized judgments about, well, was, was that enough sexual harassment for me to report? And so that, that's my point. The sexual harassment in a workplace that has a zero tolerance policy is still going on and still being condoned. Sometimes it says, oh, well, you know, old Joe, he's been here forever and, you know, he's just of that generation and, and they do shoulder rubs. Well, it's just not acceptable uh, in a modern workplace sometimes. And, and when you put out that out, out as a zero tolerance policy, there's, there's the, what about there's the exceptions to the rule. There's high performers who also transgress and, and, but they're given a pass. So saying that we don't tolerate in the workplace is, is really just the lazy way out.
0: So you mentioned some of the consequences of organizations that have these policies that, that create employees who fear who are afraid to report because of the consequences, fearing discipline? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, negative morale. Um, people are worried all the time. But a couple of other research points that that I've seen is that eventually people will leave. Um, Retention becomes a problem if people find themselves sitting at their desks afraid of what's gonna happen if they report the concerns that they're experiencing. They'll leave, they'll have increased sick leave as well um, as a result of anxiety-based symptoms. They'll of course not be as productive as they otherwise would be and they'll be less engaged. Um, In fact, I saw in, in one source that we'll post in the episode notes, um, a half a million employees miss an estimated 1.8 million workdays each year due to workplace violence, and this transforms in into 55 million dollars in in lost wages. Um, I mean, do we have a a sense of the the cost uh, to businesses overall?
1: Uh, absolutely, those are great statistics that you cited, Stephanie, and. Uh, You know, we've all seen uh, the different job career websites and how many have we seen a company gets a bad review, toxic work environment, Uh, bullying is tolerated. And let's not forget, even bosses and supervisors are not exempt from exhibiting unacceptable behaviors and and, and also concerning behaviors that are uh, should be reported. And if I could, you talked about research. Uh, The FBI had a very seminal document come out within the last few months making prevention a reality. And their comment on zero tolerance, it says, when zero tolerance means that the same severe punishment is applied to similar incidents, regardless of history and circumstances, it's detrimental to good threat management. Uh, how many times have we seen the act of assailant insider threat cases where everybody was, conf- many people were concerned about that person, but it was never reported to some type of identify, assess, and manage infrastructure within the company.
2: Yeah, and we have to be careful to, to make sure that it never comes across that, that we are, you know, allowing, you know, in, individuals to get away with behavior. The the, the most important thing that, that we really focus on in insider threat prevention, counter insider threat, as well as uh, workplace violence prevention programs is that preventive part. A zero tolerance policy is designed all around being reactive. After the fact, this is what's gonna happen. What What is not addressed is the proactive uh, positive steps that you have to take beforehand, and and that and that in a, in an instance where you have a you know a policy that that you want written that will really address an internal problem, whether it's workplace violence or sexual harassment or whatever the the zero tolerance policy is, when you when you when you focus on that and do the hard work to say okay, well, what's the spectrum here, and how do we take the small low level behaviors and keep them from progressing up the scale until it becomes a problem, until two people can no longer work together. You know, a preventive approach doesn't rely on the punishment on the, on the back end. It relies on uh, early reporting, addressing the behavior. So really an organization should have zero tolerance for letting things slide without investigating them. That's the, that's the place where, where you really can get to the bottom of an issue. And every single situation is nuanced. And as Matt just mentioned from that FBI report, when the FBI, whose, whose job is to prosecute and put people in prison, when the FBI says you cannot treat every single instance exactly the same with the exact same uh, set of punishments, because they all come with di- different set of circumstances, I think people need to listen.
0: I completely agree. And one of the things that I really appreciate that you just said is there is zero tolerance for not responding thoughtfully. And we need to make sure that our organizations are capable and trained and committed to doing just that. I mean, I talk about this all the time um, on webinars and in other products that we have at the Threat Lab because it drives me crazy. Um, We've got on one side of the spectrum, people who don't report for a variety of reasons. And that is a genuine problem. But then on the other side, we've got people who do report and watch as things are dismissed over and over and over again. And people who become known for their problematic behavior, they stay in place. And that also causes problems. And so I really like that concept of we do have a zero tolerance policy and we can promise our employees that it is we do not tolerate doing nothing or standing by. And I think that's a great way to think about it. And as you both have already said, there are cases in which termination is on the table. There are behaviors, there are situations in which people simply do need to be terminated. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this concept of safe termination. Um, we talked about it a little bit during our September summit, and I get a lot of questions about it as well. And so are there are, are there any sort of ideas or research or feedback that you can share about this concept?
1: Yeah, safe terminations, um, uh, there's best practices. Law enforcement, even in the last 10 years, um, they would stand by for, they now stand by for a very concerning termination. Uh, If I could, let me describe a case uh, that we actually had uh, about a year ago for a company. We provide safe terminations. We can provide surveillance or bodyguard protection. We recommend a severance package be created for safe terminations so that they can bring it home to their family infrastructure if they do get severed. But we um, had a case, a very serious case. On a Tuesday, we were called by a company. We'd like to fire somebody on a Friday and um, always be aware of uh, being in a hurry to fire somebody. And they were concerned. And I said, well, what are the concerns? He has anger management issues. Good employee for 10 years. Last few weeks, anger management issues. It can't be tolerated. You know, just the subject of this uh, podcast here. Well, we arranged for a bodyguard to be outside the room. We arranged for a severance package. And we were still very wary because we had never been involved in this rather large client, very major medical manufacturer. And um, sure enough, uh, he was uh, terminated that Friday, Uh, very upset, naturally. And um, when they were firing him, we asked, you know, what's the deal with the anger management? And they even made reference. They said, well, we heard he's bipolar. That might be one of the reasons. And we were astounded. Does the American Disabilities Act mean anything to you? Does the fact that most uh, people that suffer from mental illness are law-abiding citizens? What's what's the root? What's causing this to happen? And so we um, made arrangements for the safe termination to make sure everybody was safe. And our surveillance team followed him to the gun store, and he's purchasing weapons. Now think about this: it's not illegal to be fired. It's not illegal to purchase a weapon but you do both within 120 minutes and and we have a big pathway to violence issue. So I'm fast forwarding a very uh, long story, but that night I'm talking to his wife and we're making arrangements for him to get a court ordered mental health treatment so we can get the guns taken away. And she said it best. He was a good, I love him very much. He was a good employee for 10 years. If somebody had just asked, I'd tell them I didn't know he was off of his medications and we looked at his personnel jacket. So It gained national attention because there was a manhunt for him. It definitely affected morale. I talked to the CEO of the company when we got this resolved in a safe manner. He said not only the public relations nightmare, but just as you alluded to, Stephanie, people were afraid to go back to work. And those are the unintended consequences when you go to a zero-tolerance policy. And safe terminations, in the answer to your question, there's a safe environment that uh i I know nate has also experienced many cases like that before
2: well well actually you know that when you mention unintended consequences that's that's really critical you know none of us really have tea leaves that we can actually see into the future right we we make some assessments and and judgments on on what is likely but there are unintended consequences to to taking certain actions and in the zero tolerance policy that that your story also also reminds me of another one where a uh, there was an employee she had been with the company seven or eight years, very good employee, kind of you know kind of kept to herself a lot, um, but then started really having some problems and melting down, and then one day she just didn't show up to work, and uh, had made some comments to her to her supervisor that that were you know sh- showed she was probably very depressed. Well, she didn't show up to work, and they kept calling her house. Or, well, they cu- kept calling her telephone of record, and all she had was a cell phone. She didn't have a, a home phone. They called her, you know, a thing uh, several times, and after five days of no show, no call, no response, they sent a letter to her house terminating her. Her husband gets this letter, and he doesn't have access to her cell phone, but he calls the company and says she's in an inpatient unit right now for mental health problems. And, and they said, well, I'm sorry, our policy is if you don't call, you're terminated. He got extremely upset, and he basically told the, the, the HR uh, person who called, said, I am going to come there, and I'm going to take away everything that's important to you, and slams down the phone. Now, they, they started thinking, well, what does that mean? You know, does that mean he's going to sue us? He's going to come here with a gun? We, we don't know. But so now you terminated one person, but you've got an unintended consequence of a spouse now who may be coming to your location. And we, you know, that was very disruptive. People didn't want to come back to work and you had to put armed guards in the building and, uh, and try to resolve the situation. And not only that, I'll just tell you another thing. At the end of the day, that was expensive for that company when they did get sued. Because that's what, you know, that's what he came after them with, with was an attorney thankfully, but it could have easily gone the other direction. One of the other things about that safe, that safe termination is before you rush off to termination, you need to kind of really understand what the issues are. So let, let's look at a modern-day scenario where, you know, maybe maybe there's some, um, you know, some uh, maybe white nationalist sympathies that are, you know, displayed, and then it, it gets to be kind of overt, whether it's in a military, law enforcement, or whatever. The problem in that in an in, in immediate uh, termination of a law enforcement officer or you know, uh, chaptering out somebody from the military immediately is it doesn't necessarily get to the root of the problem. And so on all of these cases, if you're trying to find out you know, what is the root of this problem? We're, we're, we're terminating somebody for sexual harassment. We're terminating say somebody for you know, um, bringing a weapon to work, violating one of our you know, one of our unviolatable policies, um, and it's clear, you still want to uh, approach it in a thoughtful way. The person should not leave crying. You know, it, nobody is happy during a termination, but it, it's, it's really something that you have to explain. You have to work through it. You've got to uh, lay the groundwork, and whenever you have the uh, ability to kind of soften that landing for somebody, you're going to give them at least the tools to move on to a different path, and, and whether that path ever intersects you again you know, is is immaterial. What you're trying to do is get somebody a, a method and a, an a ability to move on in their life so they do not start focusing on you and, and fixating. Because that's when you have former employers come back, you know, former employees come back and cause problems. And And because they are insiders, they know the routines, they know how to get in and out of the building, they may still have access codes that, that your organization wasn't proactive enough to disable. I mean, it just really causes problems if you don't consider, um, you know, the method and manner of termination.
0: So that reminds me of a conversation I had well over a year ago with a colleague of mine, and he he was telling me about it's really important when you onboard people and you, you want to train them in your organizational culture and your mission and your values, and you want to make sure that you're treating them with dignity and valuable members of the team. But then he went on to say, it's even more important that those steps are in place on the last day of someone's employment. You want to make sure, even more so than on their first You treat an employee with dignity and respect and care on that last day, regardless of how that person is leaving your organization. And the story that you told about the person being in mental health treatment and then, then firing her without any understanding of what was going on in her life is It's crazy to me, but it makes, you know, it makes sense in line with all the things you said about, of course, this can happen. It's the, it's the easy way, you know, it takes time to figure out the context of what's going on in people's lives. It takes supervisors and colleagues who are genuinely invested in the wellness of the people around them and their subordinates and up and down the chain. And so it really sounds like everything that you've talked about today is is an approach rooted in compassion and thoughtfulness and recognizing that behavior happens in context.
1: That's exactly right. Um, How how many times have uh, we seen in the media cases of termination that ended up being violent? Or an insider threat of intellectual property, things like that. Uh, without handling that lowest point of self-esteem for someone is being terminated, so let's take some care and caution without condoning perhaps the behavior, uh, and that enables you to manage that situation on a termination.
2: Right, and the compassion—it's it, a multiple types of a—it's of a, a—it's a multifaceted issue, I guess. Um, the, you you also need to show compassion to the victims because. You know, if you're sitting in a, if you're sitting in an office, and there's somebody who is very disruptive, who really does have anger management issues, throwing staplers, I mean, just whatever you happen to see, you know, the people around there are affected as well. And so, an organization has to address these things thoughtfully and in a professional manner. And 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 that includes talking to people who had to witness it or who are who are victims of it. It's it's making sure that everybody knows that that all of us in this organization are going to be treated with respect. And typically when somebody is terminated for, for cause and and it was a well-defined policy that understood that behaviors are happening context, usually somebody knows that I did this, yes, I'm going to be terminated. And all of their coworkers also say, well, yeah, that's, yeah, I un- I understand that. That was, that was handled well. And uh, so you can have um, instances that end up in termination or, you know, or even referral to a criminal justice, uh, organization, but you know, that, that everybody can agree that that was handled properly. And, and that's the goal, making sure that you have policies in place that that understand context that know that every event happens on a spectrum. And, uh, you know, and of course there are certain things on the end of the spectrum that they're going to result in termination or worse. Um, but but it's, it's recognizing that you have to, you know, do a thorough investigation and understand what's going on, keep people informed and, and increase transparency.
0: So tell me a little bit more about anything else that organizations can do to avoid zero tolerance language.
1: What, what we find missing in many ethic, code of ethics uh, handbook or uh, employee handbook, workplace violence related policies, you know, that workplace violence won't be tolerated. What we see missing in addition to couching that language, and I might add that ASIS, the Trade Association for Security Directors, has just recently recommended getting away from zero tolerance policies. But to avoid that, what we're seeing missing is early warning signs. We know that an insider threat and workplace violence, some of the commonalities are life stressors, such as divorce, debt, certainly during COVID, a lot of stress. And yet there are no warning signs disseminated What are the early warning signs of untreated mental health? What are the early warning signs of uh, a person possibly being the victim of domestic abuse? Where, again, you have a significant number of workplace violence incidents related to domestic uh, assaults. So what we find are early warning signs. And if left unattended, like bullying, uh, can potentially escalate. So you need to have an early intervention rather than police respond to an active shooter situation.
2: So one of the things about, particularly with our government uh, government uh, employees, is is that that merit system protection board is going to look for policies that are fair, equitable, and proportional. So we need to make sure that that if you have a zero tolerance policy, you know, first of all, it's probably not going to fly. At the end of the day, you're not going to terminate somebody without following due process. Um, so that proportionality is is critical, and that and that is what um, we talk about in in. In understanding the context of uh, negative behaviors in the workplace,
0: and so one of the things that I want to want to ask you about is: so many of us, for now nearly a year, have been teleworking, um, and I've seen a number of articles that have come out that have shown we're starting to see people's lives, we're starting to see their kids, their pets, you know, the challenges that they have. Um, but we're also starting to see things that we perhaps were not ready for organizationally, um, whether it would be signs that somebody is abusing drugs or drinking on the job um, when they're working from home, uh, signs of abuse or um, concerning living situations that are going on that you can physically see in their backgrounds. And so I'm wondering about your thoughts not just on, on why you wouldn't apply zero tolerance for these situations, but how we can really be thoughtful in this time of COVID and remote workforces and teleworking.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's definitely an issue. Uh, it, I've read the same articles you have read. Domestic violence, for instance, is clearly on the rise. Uh, the statistics are overwhelmingly um, women. However, men aren't exempt. but. You know, there's a reason for that. They're living at that home in that environment that is, that is uh, those interpersonal dynamics that is leading uh, to domestic violence. And so, again, warning signs. There are early warning signs for domestic abuse, for drug use. And when we're on our video conference calls and you are familiar with that person and now you're detecting something just isn't right. Uh, and perhaps we should report this not to get the person in trouble but just the opposite. Something's going on and we have to refer. It's also should be an opportunity for companies and agencies to be promoting their employee assistance programs, because this is leading to a lot of stress. Your significant others, perhaps around unemployed, uh, domestic abuse, You know, um, kids at home with the distance learning, and perhaps they have special needs, all those life stressors we've seen over and over again. And the other thing with COVID on video conference calls If you're counseling somebody, uh, we recommend uh, several best practices and just a small uh, best practice. Make sure it's a professional environment. If you're counseling somebody on behavior or looking into behaviors, you know, don't have the dog in the background or you're, you know, sunning yourself in the Florida room, make sure it's that environment. Even on camera, we've seen less than professional environments when it's a serious issue. And not only that, if I could, Stephanie, I think we ought to talk. Uh, about domestic abuse, especially as people are returning to work. And we know that domestic abuse has been in the rise. We, uh, in addition to early warning signs, uh, we recommend that restraining orders be voluntarily brought forth to the company and, uh, or the agency. And we rarely see that in employee handbooks, even though it's a best practice recommended by the Society of Human Resource Management. And there's issues you can do with that. You can get a copy of the restraining order. Is it expanded to the workplace? Oftentimes, police jurisdictions don't share information. Should you get a picture of that person and have it posted? Liaison with local law enforcement. Should the victim be given a special parking space? Uh, We had a very serious case with an insurance company. We redesigned their policies. We announced the restraining order. We announced the non-punitive nature of this workplace violence prevention policy. And sure enough, a, a Um, uh, a woman came up, she appeared to be in her 20s and shaking and was considered a good employee for five years. For those five years, she hid the fact that she had a restraining order and you could not help but have compassion. She approached right after our training and said, I have a restraining order and I've never brought it forth. She didn't want to get in trouble or and and I think we all agree here. It has nothing to do with her professional performance. And um, I asked her who the person was and she said, I dated a person twice. It's the worst mistake I ever made. And who couldn't have compassion for that? We gave her a special parking space. We uh, provided locks for the receptionist. We liaison with local law enforcement. That person was subsequently um, uh, arrested for other bad things. But the important thing is the CEO was, uh, became aware of it through us and uh, he actually, it's very heartwarming. She used his parking space because it was the closest to the security at the workplace. And that's where why those 40% of women killed in the workplace are killed by an intimate partner. It's where they can find them. But the bottom line is, he called and says, you know what, morale has gone up dramatically. I have a lot of demographic where women similar to her, you know, similar age group. Um, obviously, others were aware of this, but were afraid to report it because they didn't want to get her in trouble. And she didn't want to think, oh, people are going to think I'm a, uh, I am have bad judgment in my personal life and it's going to affect my professional career. And far from it. And he noticed morale increasing. So it's a, it's an issue. It's being exacerbated by COVID, and let's not re, let's not forget a lot of these life stressors are returning to work as the vaccination comes out.
2: Yeah, you know, Matt, one of the one of the companies I worked with had a a policy. It was a zero tolerance policy. It wasn't like noted such as in its title, but you know, down in the in the um, bulk of the policy, you could see it says that you know workplace violence will not be tolerated. And and the title of the policy was Workplace Violence Prevention and Weapons Policy. You know, so now this is, these are two different things. It's conflating two separate things and saying workplace violence and weapons on the premises will not be tolerated and will result in termination. And so you can see once again on on a zero tolerance policy, that wasn't well thought out they didn't recognize the spectrum of violence in, you know, that that is potential, you know, potential violence or early warning signs in the workplace. And they were conflating workplace violence with, you know, an active assailant with a gun, you know, and that's, and that's not the case. So again, looking at a zero tolerance policy from, you know, as the easy way out, it's the way that you can make a statement that will maybe even make it to the press to show that we're taking a very strong and decisive action against this, you know, terrible incident that the company has just uh, you know got gone through again with in whatever field it is, and and so then you know the the executive uh, leadership puts out a zero tolerance statement, and again we're we're back to the same spot that we started from where it's not it's not well defined, it doesn't take into account the spectrum of behaviors that you want to prevent in your environment, and it doesn't take into account you know, the context and proportionality of the punishment. So so again, we, we see these zero tolerance policies, sometimes they're masked. It's hard to, you know, hard to realize that that's kind of where it's going until you read it and, and get an understanding of the organization. But the only way really to solve your problems is not to put out a draconian zero tolerance policy. It's to make a, a, a thoughtful, to, to do to do a thoughtful review of your policies and understand where they where they can present you with unintended consequences what can you do to mitigate that how will we handle our unforgivable sins how will we do our safe terminations is there any way that we can soften a landing for somebody you know just to make it more bearable across the board you know that's that's the key and uh you know and finally again as matt and i spend our all of our time in that prevention phase, we, we look at, you know, making sure that people can air their grievances, that they're addressed, and that, uh, you know, people aren't complaining about a, a, you know, behavior that continues to be tolerated, even though the policy says it isn't.
0: And what I really like about everything that I've heard today is we can only think so far in the future. There are emerging threats that we haven't even conceived of yet. But if we do the hard work up front by putting these policies in place, we don't have to change our policies every single time a new threat emerges over the horizon. We can actually we can actually deal with the things that come at us um, because we've again we've thought through the policies, the practices, the training that we need to make sure our security professionals have to enact these policies the awareness that our employees need to have of these policies. We don't need to start over every time something new comes up. And so just two more questions, uh, if you wouldn't mind. And the first one I'll ask is my father's actually favorite question. And that is, um, what else should I have asked that I wasn't smart enough to ask? And I'll start with Matt.
1: I think you alluded to it, but the program is only as good as the general workforce reporting um, issues. And if you don't promise prompt action and response on each case of reporting, you're going to be dead in the water. You're going to see a decrease in reporting and management because employees, if they report a bullying uh, boss or report someone they're concerned about that might be a victim of domestic abuse and they don't hear back and nothing is done to at least address the issue, it's going to lack credibility. So you can have the best warning signs, the best policies in place. If management doesn't promise prompt accident and response, the program's dead. Frankly.
2: Yeah. Well, Stephanie, I think you you covered all the things that are they're critical uh, to talk about here. Um, and, and just to just to kind of uh, finish up on Matt's thought about uh, you know putting together these policies um, and, and understanding the, the, the value in reporting, you know, that, that really is the key. And, and that two way communication is what increases the transparency. So a lot of, a lot of companies in their EAP or in their, you know, their ethics hotline, um, you know, they use different, different platforms and, and many of them have actually a, a an ability to make an anonymous comment or complaint that goes into HR and, but still, give you the capability for getting a an anonymous answer, right? It'll give you make a complaint. It gives you a code, and if you want to know what's going on, you can log in, and that case you can see parts of that case management, and that lets somebody know that we're at le- at least looking into it, you know. And I think I think that that's that's a feature of very of a lot of different um, reporting uh, platforms, but I don't think that it's necessarily promoted think that's part of your education. You need to let your employees know that you can make an anonymous complaint. and not only that, but you can get feedback on what happened. and and you don't have to just make the complaint and then it's out into the ether and you never hear another word about it. You know, and again, there's there's things that, that aren't going to be shared with every everybody making a complaint. But for somebody to understand that yes, I made a complaint, it's being actively looked at, and somebody's taking a look at it. And, and, and if, if I wanna know what the resolution is, you know, I can log on and, uh, and stay anonymous. I think that's, that's a critical feature to, to put out in your training.
0: Well, thank you so much. Um, Nate and Matt are two of my favorite people to talk with about all of these hard problems. And so where can listeners find you if they want to learn more?
1: Uh, If you look up uh, uh, Jensen Hughes and just type in our names, uh, you'll find our links. We have a lot of uh, what we call collaterals on psychological assessments, safe terminations, um, building workplace violence prevention programs. So just uh, contact us at any time. Uh, My email is matthew.doherty at jensenhughes.com. And same with uh, Nate's email.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having us, uh, Stephanie. It's uh, been a pleasure. Look forward to uh, the rest of the podcasts.
0: Thank you all for listening. And a big thank you to our speakers, Matt Doherty and Nate Hunt. Don't miss out on new products from the Threat Lab and announcements about the 2021 summit. Sign up for our distribution list at dodhra.threatlab at All of our products are free, so you don't even need a promo code.